Mayor Scott Gillingham joined us live in studio today to discuss what happened at Fort Gibraltar after that accident on Wednesday that sent over a dozen kids to hospital. So we spoke to him about that, and we spoke to him about the prospect of widening Keniston. Also today marks the beginning of National Indigenous History Month. So we spoke to 60s scoop survivor Bradford Billado. And a lone tenant in a Montreal apartment is holding out. She's holding up the development, the redevelopment into a big condo building. It's a $400 a month apartment. She doesn't want to leave. She's holding her ground. So we asked you about times you held your ground. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, June 1st podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. McNabb back on the start after filling in for Hal Anderson yesterday on Connecting Winnipeg. And Loren, it was during your time in that slot, just moments really after you took to the air where we all started to learn about this horrific situation at Fort Gibraltar. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the, the hard part about hearing about something like that is that uh, there are so many parents in our audience that can relate, right? It's that time of year, your kid's excited for school to be winding down, you've got field trips going on, and you hear that a group of school kids are on a field trip at Fort Gibraltar, which is the site where Festival de Voyageur also takes place, and that there's been some kids that have fallen from some f- sort of platform. That's how it came in, and you kind of just hope for the best, and then you learn later that there was... Uh, more than a dozen taken to hospital. Um, 18 was the total in the end and then one adult and that one ended up potentially staying overnight just for surgery on uh, what sounded like an orthopedic situation. You've got some broken bones out there and for sure, everybody it, physically, these are not injuries that are going to be, you know, life harming per se that, that as we understand it. But man, you can, you can imagine being, you know, 10, 11 years old and have this go down. And then the mom and dad's getting that phone call, Greg, and the panic that would have set in. Uh, there'll be lots of questions this morning about what happened, how it happened, um, what was going on at that site, the facility itself. You heard Sarah mentioned that uh, inspections are happening by the city, but had any happened in the last couple of years just to uh, check in on that? How does that even work? I mean, I, my mind was spinning yesterday, but mostly just thinking of those kids and those calls coming to mom and dad, because I received those calls, you know, when your kid has hurt himself on the playground let alone that your kid has been taken to hospital. That's, uh, I can't imagine those few hours for them. Yeah, you know, uh, we've had uh, different situations over the years, uh, various schools in lockdown for various reasons. You get that email. I've received that email that something's going down in the, in the neighborhood where your kid's school is, and so the school is in lockdown. But then, you know, that's usually sort of within the school community. This was very public. We're talking about it on CJOB, and and so the up to the minute details and the changing uh, story and, and details is are obviously important to a lot of people. And when you say you can only imagine, I, I think in our deepest recesses of our minds, and maybe sometimes a little bit closer to the front than we'd like them to be, Brett, when our kids do go on these on these adventures, you know, they're going to be safe. The chances of something happen are, are happening are, are minimal, but you can't help but think about the what ifs. And yesterday, what if came to fruition for these, uh, these uh, Ravens court students yesterday. Indeed. And uh, glad to hear that no life threatening injuries. Of right. course, no one wants to hear about kids getting hurt and breaking some bones and having to stay overnight in surgery. But yeah, the, there was a genuine, uh, like anytime there's a breaking news situation and there's sort of activity in the newsroom, there's, you know, it, it can be tense. But yesterday I, I came out of the studio and seeing the worried looks on faces and like, what is happening? And then I bumped into you, Mackling. You're the first person who alerted me to the situation. And uh, I just thought, okay, I'm just going to, I got to get out of everyone's way because people were running around trying to figure out what was happening. And, uh, and, and that's, I'm just a guy walking around in a newsroom concerned, looking out the window to see if I can see any emergency vehicles. And I, we couldn't, I, I couldn't find an angle to see down at Fort Gibraltar, but to be one of those parents or anybody involved with that school or anybody at that facility, man, 
And of course, so many of us go to Fort Gibraltar during Festival, Loren, or maybe you've been there for a wedding or other events. So immediately you start thinking about that construct of the fort. What does it look like? What could have possibly happened? You've got those towers there. And and so I know for myself, I went on to Google Images or uh, found a, uh, Richard Cluche found a video from inside the fort so that we could sort of get an, an idea of what exactly may have happened. And so on that north side of the fort, there's a elevated walkway, for lack of a better terminology, mm-hmm. really a really long deck that runs from the east side to the west side, maybe five, six, seven feet wide. And that, as we understand, is the is the structure involved here. We don't know exactly what happened to the structure, but that's, the, you know, it's 15 to 20 feet above the ground. So we're going to share some more at 637 just as to what we know what happened and then more of that response from the city because this is a city-owned facility that's leased the Festival as we understand it, Brett, correct? That's how I've got that, right? city owns it, leases it to the to the festival for its events and uh, it has been inspected when different upgrades were made over the years but um, I don't know what's required in the interim and it has all, all sorts of questions about how often buildings are looked at elsewhere in the city. I will say this, of all the places you send your kids, you know, your kids might do field trips to the lake, they might go on a camp, they might do a hike, they, you know, they might do white, they might do water rafting, they might go for swimming. There's all sorts of scenarios run through your head. I don't know how many would have said that this is an area where they expected to get that kind of call, though. You know, you're going Good to point. learn about the history. You made a, you're not thinking that there's going to be some sort of collapse of a structure. I, of all the scenarios, in, per, for me personally, that that would not have run through my mind. But, you know, there are questions that we're going to ask and try to answer throughout the day. And then beyond that, you know, this facility will be closed for this foreseeable future while the city of Winnipeg does inspections. So there might be people who have events there this weekend that won't get to have them happen. I don't know if, you know, it's also a site for weddings, uh, different suppers, different uh, rehearsal dinners might take place there. So it'll be um, eh, a lot to consider, I would say, for weeks to come. So we'll have more on this coming up at 6.35 and at 7.05, how to talk to your kids after a trauma like this. Also today, on the much lighter side, much and later on in the show, Greg, at 9.35, we're going to get an update on the big trip to the Stanley Cup Championship. One of our listeners several weeks ago, back in April, alerted us to the fact that he had actually won via Tim Hortons a trip to see one of the games in the Stanley Cup final. Well, you may remember we were in the midst of that PSAC strike and passports were not being processed. Well, our guest this morning at 9.35, our guest back in April, told us that his son... His passport was caught up in the in in the in the mess of that strike. Passport issue has been taken care of, but now we know uh, where Ronald Ash and his son Jonathan are going to be going uh, for the Stanley Cup final. So, uh, as you said, a little bit more of a light-hearted conversation to wrap up our program this morning. We'll find out where they're going, when, and and what's on tap. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. One of the most read stories this morning at globalnews.ca and cjob.com. The headline reads, Lone tenant in a $400 a month apartment could delay a major condo project. So this woman named Carla White lives in downtown Montreal, and they're, the real estate developer wants her out. They've offered her, I think, $20,000 compensation, but she's kind of holding the line, saying, where am I going to live? You know, for, 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 she lives in a small bachelor suite, doesn't even have a working stove, but for several years for her, it's been home, and she doesn't want to leave. And uh, they've, it's basically going to go to Quebec's housing tribunal where they will, whatever the, that the tribunal determines for compensation, their developer says they will abide by that but yeah it's interesting that she's that one person is holding this up yeah so this is 176 condo uh unit condo development that's proposed for where this building is now uh carla white is the name of the woman involved she says she was homeless prior to finding this 
apartment for $400 a month. And Loren, we talk about this housing crisis in Canada. And sometimes we see these projects which displace people and they, you know, from the outside, these are unsightly buildings or undesirable to a more, uh, you know, large majority of people. But there are some people that, that call these places home because they can afford to live there and have a roof over their head. And this woman is saying, no, I'm not going anywhere unless you can subsidize my rent is basically the way she's looking at it. Give me an amount of money that works out to me paying $400 a month for rent for the foreseeable, the long-term future. Well, I would say that in this case, I can't speak for her. I don't know her, but because it's a $400 a month rent, that would be really low for Winnipeg, let alone Montreal. Maybe it's not the nicest of place. You know, it, they talk about how it's small and it's cluttered inside and all the rest. But for 400 bucks a month, find her another place that she can afford to rent for the, the years ahead at that price would be hard to do. They offered her $20,000, which she's refused. And there is some indication in the article that she's looking for more like $50,000. And I'm curious what people think about this. I mean, do they have the right to just kick her out? I think they probably do once they've sold the building and it moves on. I'm not sure, but $20,000 wouldn't last her long when rent is between fourteen and 1700 bucks a month now. So that's not going to take her very long. So the difference of $1,300 a month, 20 grand is, you know, a year. That's right. Or so in terms of, of bridging that gap. So, uh, you know, I've seen this in Winnipeg over Madison Square. Yeah. There was that Sportsman's, I can't remember the name of the business, mm. but they built, right, with the Safeway and the, and the, there was Toys R Us there. And they built that entire 10-acre development around that business and they built a brick wall around it. And for years they had a security guard there. And if you parked... In the parking lot of the shopping center and went to Sportsman's, like they 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 were ready to tow you right away. Like it was animosity filled. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. More on the Fort Gibraltar situation in a moment, but a reminder: we do have tickets to give away to see. The aforementioned Winnipeg Blue Bombers, as Drew just mentioned, playing tomorrow night. Preseason action against Saskatchewan. We'll tell you how you can win those tickets in our next segment. And then a bit later on this morning, Greg, it's Thursday at 735. Means small town salute. We're not going that far from the city of Winnipeg. In fact, I can almost, I think, see this community from where we are at Portage in Maine. But this came from one of our loyal listeners, someone we've actually had on the air as a guest And so many of our great small-town salutes come from you, our listeners, at 204-780-6868. So that's what we're doing today. We're going to the South Interlake to talk about an event that went away. It's being sort of reimagined, represented this weekend, and that's all I'm going to give you. That's coming up at 7.35. Right now... I want to talk about how the city of Winnipeg says it will be it will be inspecting the walkway at Fort Gibraltar that collapsed during a school field trip yesterday. 17 grade 5 students and an adult from St. John's Ravenscourt School were hurt when the walkway collapsed and sent to hospital. Global's Rosanna Hempel with more on what happened. Just before 10, the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service got a 911 call about an incident at Fort Gibraltar. More than a dozen emergency vehicles arrived, including a major incident response vehicle. As Health Sciences Centre prepared for an influx of patients calling a code orange, emergency vehicles were just leaving the site when we arrived just before 11. We had approximately 15 to 20 estimated at our original 911 call of 10 and 11 year olds that fell approximately 15 to 20 feet uh, inside the Fort Gibraltar complex. Emergency crews flooded the historical site as the initial calls came in. Chantal Craig lives nearby and came over after she heard a commotion. There was two or three that came out on stretchers and then the five or six children had walked out on their own and got into Mar, um, Merv. Global News footage shows an elevated wooden platform on the ground, surrounded by police tape. So far, the cause of the collapse is unknown. The accident upsetting for children and parents as news of the incident began to spread. Archana Paul came to the hospital looking for her son when she discovered the news. She hadn't heard from her son's school, St. John's Ravens Court, but hospital staff told them he wasn't there. It was like... I couldn't even express. I was just totally broke down. 
like how it is happening. I was just worried about all the kids. Just make sure everybody's, all the kids are okay. Grade 5 student Tamim Al-Jafari fell in the collapse but wasn't badly hurt. We were on a bridge. It was like a fence bridge. So then we were walking and then the bridge fell down. And then there were three people that got majorly injured and then like 30 people fell. The Children's Hospital's medical director, Dr. Karen Grip, says they'd prepared for a mass casualty. However, most of the children were expected to be discharged by the end of the day, with one patient to stay overnight for observation following surgery. Overall, Grip says it could have been a lot worse. Um, mostly orthopedic injuries, uh, so broken bones. Uh, a few, um, none severe, none life-threatening. Fort Gibraltar is owned by the city of Winnipeg and leased out to Festival du Voyageur. Now, the city and province both had inspectors on site today and Festival says it is cooperating with investigators. Now, what we don't know so far is whether regular inspections were taking place at the facility, but those are questions that we'll be sure to follow up on. And we still have those questions today. So if you're trying to imagine this, if you haven't been to Fort Gibraltar, there's a, there's a, it, it, it's an wall that goes all the way around the site, a high wall. And then on the north side, there's a walkway, an elevated walkway that you can go take some stairs up to and then walk along that north wall to a sort of tower on the one corner to get more of an overview of the site. And so it's there. If you go to globalwinnipegcgob.com and look at that video, you can see it's in basically in the middle of that walkway that there was this collapse. And we asked the cities for details on inspections. We were told that back in 2004, repairs were made to that walkway. So they replaced stringers, treads of stairs, replaced rotten wallers and walls. A building permit was pulled and an inspection conducted. Then in 2013, more repairs were made to sections, including rotten pickets, rails, fencing with new wood. A development permit was pulled and that did not necessitate an inspection. And so the city says that if they receive a complaint about a hazardous condition, they do inspect, as noted, according to their search, we have not received complaints regarding this property. So that reads to me that there were two sets of upgrades repairs done. Uh, the first in 2004 resulted in an inspection. The second did not. They are under two different permits, Greg. And so I've gone back to the city just to say, what's the difference between those permits? And then that means there have been, if, if I'm reading that right, no further inspections. And I'm not saying that there should have been. I, I am just curious. It has me asking a whole host of questions about what is looked at and maybe not looked at. Um, I think maybe we might all seem to think that there's inspectors looking at things 24-7 in every corner of the city every day. That's not the case. And so there will be a lot of people wondering how this happened and whether, you know, what could have been done maybe to prevent it or what do we learn from this? Uh, hopefully we learn a lot about what to do moving forward. And, you know, th that walkway suspended uh, above the ground 15 to 20 feet. Uh, that staircase uh, is not a, a short one that gets you up to that walkway that goes right over the, the main or the front gate, the original front gate of that fort. And so uh, we all know if you've ever had a wooden deck, wooden decks are difficult to maintain. There's a lot of work that goes into that. You have to replace from time to time the deck boards, sometimes those stringers or the or the joists. If it was an interior construction, you know, those those uh, those supports underneath the deck. Those are prone to rotting out. So you have to be on top of things. You have to be looking at those as the uh, owner of the property to make sure that's safe. But that's a, that, think about that even if you're just three or four feet off the ground, Brett. Now you, you really elevate that uh, situation, the serious, seriousness of the situation based on the actual elevation of that deck. And uh, so uh, I would assume... That is a sort of a tourist attraction, a city-owned tourist attraction, where people are that high off the ground, potentially, that that would have some sort of regular inspection. I'm not expecting to see a certificate when I climb those stairs like I do on an elevator and go, yeah, this was last inspected on what date? But the idea that it might not be, it just it, it feels a little odd to me. It is scary. And you talk, you're you right. You mentioned the three, four feet. That just reminds me, I don't know, 20 years ago at my buddy's cabin out in Sandy Hook, um, I went outside for, I don't know, a smoke, I guess, late at night, and my leg went through the, the, through the, just the, the step. The, the huh. wood was rotten, and I just went through it. Luckily, I didn't get hurt, but it could have been 
potentially catastrophic situation had I lost my balance and fallen off the side or had I maybe gone like way down all the way to the ground, I could have shredded my leg up. Um, but even that, you know, just, you don't even think about that, but you're right. You got to maintain it. I remember at my house when I, I had a, a wooden deck and the way I decided to maintain it when I left was just slap on a fresh coat of paint uh, <laughs> so I could get out clean, but it was uh, like six inches off the ground. You can't mm-hmm. get you, a fresh coat of paint won't cut it in this kind of situation. I'm not and, saying that's what happened. And think about the use of this site. And I think that's why the inspection questions become important because you reference the fact, you know, this is an historic site. It's used year round by hundreds of thousands. And like in Festival alone in a 10 day span, 100,000 people can go through there. Right. So it's high use, high traffic, high profile. And we will continue to ask questions to figure out what went on here. It's Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. In case you missed it, you're just getting up, turning on the radio. Just after 6.15, we talked about a story at cjob.com, globalnews.ca. The headline is lone tenant in a $400 a month apartment could delay major condo project. And this is in Montreal. And if you want to read more, again, go to globalnews.ca. But we're using that as inspiration for our next discussion, for a chance to win Winnipeg Blue Bombers tickets for tomorrow, preseason action against Saskatchewan at IG Field. We want to know about a time you held your ground, whether maybe it was as a customer or perhaps it was in, you know, you got in an argument, whether it was a serious situation or maybe it was a stupid one. Like you just got in this silly argument with your friend and you're, you're like, no, you're wrong. I'm right. <laughs> 204-780-6868. Greg's chuckling. Do you, does that remind you of something? Here? Oh yeah. I've, I've told this story about the, the argument I got in my, fr- with my friend Tim in grade six about the uh, scoring <laughs> on the safety touch in the NFL versus the CFL. And then, and then whether the, the team who concedes the safety has to uh, kick the ball or not. And yeah, I got so mad. I slammed a pencil down very close to Tim's hand. And if I recall correctly, you, you tried to John Wickham. I tried to stab him with a pencil. I was that freaking mad at the guy. And anyway, see how worked up I get. It's, <laughs> like, Who was right though in the end? It's almost 50 years ago. I'm still <laughs> mad at the guy. We're still friends all these years later, but uh we're well, so wrong. It's infuriating. I know exactly. It's like and of course, this is way before the internet, so I I'm I'm going through uh magazines, uh trying to find articles <laughs> of examples of when this has happened, the encyclopedia, and he's just standing his ground and <laughs> Oh man, so mad, still mad about that. And he like, and he hosted a sports show on Vancouver radio for years. <laughs> he was the on field, like the in house announcer at BC Lions games for a decade. And whenever I see him, I remind him, you remember you were wrong about that, right? Hey, eh, Mr. Football. <laughs> anyway, I wasn't going to tell that story, but you dragged it out of me, McGarry. Maybe now that's why he up. went on to be, take... maybe that's why he went on to become so successful because you taught him that he needed to know his stuff. You better stand your ground. <laughs> you better, you better be able to back up your ridiculous assertions, Gunter. <laughs> Sarah McCarthy, you want to follow that up? Oh my gosh, mine is also silly. Um, just it came up in the newsroom that I happen to like Olive Garden, and I guess that's a controversial statement here. I'm not sure. I had uh, outrage was just what coming. At, I know. I so I was standing my ground. I was like, oh, I know it's it may not be the best. I know there's tons of local Italian places, but when you want it, you got it. It's convenient. It's fast. Like. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I was being crucified by a certain. Yeah, Poitras is shaking his head right now. Well, no, I I come from a. I would. I would suggest like the family that I married into are hardcore Olive Garden Mm -hmm. people. They are severely (laughs) dedicated to Olive Garden. They love the salad. You don't ever get the soup around them, or they will make you hear it. And they love the breadsticks and uh, especially like the never-ending pasta bowl and stuff like that. So. You don't uh, get the soup because they, they say the salad is what you have to go for, well, right? Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Okay, well, good. It's ridiculous to get the soup when you have unlimited salad. I don't... <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants unlimited soup. I was working from home that day when Sarah got into this argument, and <laughs> For- Forche was in the – like, I was trying to talk to Forche. He's like, hang on, hang on. We're having this <laughs> serious discussion. I was like, oh, it must be breaking news. 
about Olive Garden. And I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forche just said he wants to go to Olive Garden for like lunch and it just I'd set go right off. Now. Yeah, that's the, what the happened. place went freaking <laughs> insane. And I was. Pasta I was just, fagioli soup. I was just sitting there and I was like, you know, I. Okay, who was who was angry? Skylar Peters and Jeff Braun. There, I said it. No, Jim Toth jumped in there <laughs> and too Jim as well. Also, yeah, yeah, Jim was yeah, also, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I have a list of all these other recommendations now on my phone somewhere from <laughs> you'll everyone. Never, that you'll never get to. <laughs> exactly. Ron doesn't get to weigh in on anything when no. it comes to that. The dude eats his, his cheeseburgers, have cheese and bacon on them, and that's <laughs> no, it. No, think, condiments. no condiments. I think his pasta is just like butter and it is. salt. Yeah, it why is. does he get to say anything? <laughs> Yeah. Although he does love the lobster, lobster bisque soup at, uh, at Red Lobster. Okay. okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's anyway. the most flavorful thing I've ever known him to eat. I think you are vindicated, Sarah. Thank you, Forte, what about you? The worst thing ever is when you're on the bus and it's packed and there's one guy who has his backpack on the seat next to him so nobody else can sit there. Yeah. Wow. He's standing his ground and I walked up and he's younger. He was like 20, 19, 20, 21. And I was like, excuse me. I'm pointing at his backpack, and he's he's like ignoring me. So I just picked up his backpack, put it on his lap, and I sat down next to him. <laughs> oh, oh wow, God. Jeff Forge! Wow. Well, yeah, you know what? Like, no, I'm like, come on. The bus is packed. You got an extra seat there. I want to sit. Don't be a, a, a what's a good word I can use here? What's an appropriate word I can Jerk. use? Yeah, don't be a ding dong. You know, just like let me sit down. So yeah, I just picked up his backpack, put it on his lap, and sat right next to him. And it was a very awkward bus ride. <laughs> But you got your seats. Exactly. Good for you, Forte. Poitras, what about you? Uh, well, I've been in a discussion with a with a friend of mine out in Saskatchewan, works at a radio station out there, and I'd gone out to visit him twice in Regina, which is no small feat. Um, and I was waiting for him to come into town, and I said, listen, I've been out there twice already. It's time for you to come to Winnipeg and come and visit me. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know, I'm busy, I'm doing this, uh, Regina Red Sox game, and all that. And I said, listen, dude, I'm not coming back out there. I'm not driving all the way out there. It's your turn to come all this way. That's only fair. Mm -hmm. And so finally he's coming in Canada Day. I finally yeah, still stood my ground for, for it was two Good years in the, in, in the making. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> for I got him to come over. <laughs> and, uh, Loren, you got one? I'll just be really quick. It was in and out. I was going to get an oil change a few months ago. I pulled into the place, you know, like one of those fast changes where there's like four different bays or three different bays. He guides me in and I rolled down my window and I said, just a simple oil change. He goes, yeah, next time can you stop at the stop sign before you pull in here? And I was like, oh, no problem. Which stop sign? I missed it. He's like, the one you missed. I was like, right, I get that. So like, is it right back there? I'm sorry. And he goes, it's the one that you didn't stop at. And I was like, sir, I'm trying to learn from this and do better. Which stop sign? And then he stares at me and he's like, open your hood. And I was like, nope, open the door. I'm out of here. And he's like, what? You don't want your oil change? I was like, not today, I don't. Good for and you. I drove away then as I passed the stop sign and realized how obtuse I was to have missed it. I felt kind of bad. But in the seconds there, it felt good. Yeah, but no, good for you. There's no, he, 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 there was no need for him to push it that far. Mention it once, maybe, and let it go. But, meant, but did it clarify it for me? I really genuinely in that moment was like, oh, I can't believe I missed something. What, which sign? Is it back by the street? In, in, as I said, in the aftermath, I realized how close it was to the door and how dumb I was. But I genuinely was being sincere, and uh, he didn't take it. So. I don't know why he would battle with a customer. You did the right thing, McNabb. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And we are about to add one more M to that mix. We'll explain in one moment because in about an hour's time, we will learn more about what's being called strategic infrastructure funding on Keniston. Yes, we have the Premier, the Municipal Relations Minister, and Mayor Scott Gellingham meeting at Keniston Boulevard and Carpathia Road to share more on dollars that will go into what we expect will be a widening on Keniston. It was one of the central promises of Mayor Scott Gillingham's campaign. But as always with our monthly visits, not the only central question we have for him. So we're joined in studio now by the fourth M. I'm assuming you meant Mayor Brett. Mayor Scott Gillingham, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you today. 
So before we talk about Keniston, Mr. Mayor, uh, we need to talk about what happened at Fort Gibraltar yesterday morning. That, that platform walkway collapses. We had the 17 kids and an adult taken to hospital. The facility is owned by the city, but leased to Festival. And we've learned in the last uh, 12 hours that city records show the site received two upgrades in the past 20 years, specifically to that walkway. Uh, maybe not in the area where it collapsed. We don't know that, but there were upgrades there. But only one, that first upgrade in 2004, resulted in a mandatory inspection based on the type of permit. A city spokesperson says they would have gone back uh, to inspect if there had been any complaints, but there have been no complaints. And so our, my question for you this morning, at a high traffic site like this, do you think that's reasonable? Do you think there should be should have been more inspections? Well, th- that's a question that I'm going to be asking today. I just you know got the same information you just explained uh, just uh, just this morning as well. So I haven't ha- not had a chance to speak from you know to anybody within the department. But that's certainly a question that I'll be looking to be asking today and and getting the information as to. Uh, the inspections and were there enough inspections and, and what certainties are in place to make sure that all city assets and, and facilities are, are safe. And so I don't have the answers yet, but those are questions I'm asking today. It, it seems to me that it would be a reasonable expectation from the public that if we go and we use these public facilities or pseudo public facilities, because they're, you know, there's a, in this case, this is Festival who's leasing out a, a city owned property. But, you know, when we get on an elevator, you have that little assurance. Uh, now, I'm not suggesting that every public amenity should have a, a little bit of an inspection documentation. But in your mind, is it unreasonable for us to expect that these things get inspected on a regular basis? That's a very reasonable and I would say common sense expectation. The, pu- the public should have certainty. We should have certainty that all of our public facilities are inspected on a regular basis and are, are, are safe for, you know, for the public to use. So, uh, as I said, those are questions I'll be asking today. I, I do want to just express, you know, my thoughts uh, to, uh, in, to, to all who are involved in the incident, in the, in the tragic accident. Um, it could have been much worse. We know that, but no doubt there are, there are some children, some adults that have been traumatized by it. Some have injuries, you know, and so uh, I'm wishing a full and speedy recovery for everybody. Uh, I, I do want to thank our, our, our staff, our, our emergency services staff, uh, an emergency management office who, who did an outstanding job in, in such a mass uh, event. There are those that will suggest, Mayor Gillingham, that this is symptomatic of some of our aging infrastructure. I look at uh, arenas in particular and the, and the fact that some of our critical infrastructure, we know we acknowledge is aging. Uh, are we doing enough to get ahead of replacing these facilities and making sure that they are functional to today's standards in a timely fashion? Yeah, and certainly we don't know what the case was here, you know, at Fort Gibraltar. Right, so in a general sense. Right. Uh, as far as other assets, I mean, we, we do, uh, council on a regular basis, have our municipal accommodations division, which looks at all the city facilities, all the city's assets, and, and, and you know, and, and explains to us what, what the need is for investment. Uh, we have a $6.9 billion infrastructure deficit. That means if we could bring, you know, all of our facilities up to new condition um, today and add the the facilities that, that we need, uh, it would it would take six point nine billion dollars to, to replace that. So, just sheer the sheer magnitude and, and volume of, of assets that we have require ongoing maintenance and investment. And and we have a you know our, our staff has a, a a means in place by which they measure the the quality of the facilities and and the aging you know the infrastructure and it's condition to make sure that we're, we're putting the investment in where we need to. Do we know if there's been a review done of that side or other? Because I, it was my understanding there was a review ordered a few years ago into leased properties. And again, this is a property owned by the city, leased to Festival. Do you have a sense if it fell under that review and if anything ever came back on that? That That is also what I'll be looking into uh, today, Loren. I, I don't know the answer to that today, but those are, you know, that's another of the questions that I'm, I'm looking to get answers to today. Before we ask you about Keniston, enough people to do these jobs. We know that that's been an issue in a lot of fronts. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll you know, I, at this point, I believe there's enough people to, to do those jobs. Uh, we, we take very seriously, um, you know, the quality and condition of our, of, uh, of, of, of our assets and make sure that we're, we're investing into uh, our, our assets. You know, we... Um, we just adopted a budget just just a few months ago, the 2023 budget, which has investment in, in upgrading uh, city facilities. All right. So the announcement's coming at 930. 
Is it finally happening, Mr. Mayor? Are dollars going into the widening of Keniston? I, I know that uh, I know that you'll be paying it to paying attention in an hour from now. I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, you know, pre-state or in advance, uh, you know, uh, talk about what the, what the uh, what the announcement will be uh, in, in in an hour or so from now. But um, look, I made it a campaign priority that uh, the Keniston is invested in. It needs there's three major things that need to happen on Keniston Boulevard. One, uh, there the sewer there needs to be sewer work there. Combined sewers need to be separated because we need to do it to keep raw sewage out of the river, to upgrade the sewer system uh, in, in that area. That's a, a good portion of the project. Anyone who's driven down Keniston, there may be listeners right now who are sitting on Keniston Boulevard or driving down that section of Keniston Boulevard, you'll know the deplorable condition of, uh, of, of that road. You know, Greg, you talk about aging infrastructure. Keniston Boulevard in that section is broken down and needs to be fixed. The bridge uh, over the Assiniboine River is aging. It needs to be upgraded as well. And uh, and to accommodate the, the traffic volumes for the future, uh, that section needs to be widened. And so there's three major things that need to happen. Also, we need to add cycling lanes, um, better access and, and uh, for, for transit uh, in, in that section of, of Keniston as well. So there's this, uh, I, that's why I campaigned on, on seeing uh, Keniston Boulevard upgraded. We're not not going to the announcement in an hour's time, Mr. Mayor, so I appreciate you're trying not to give too many things away because there's other levels of government involved. But are we talking about the, the launch of what will be a full renovation and an expansion and widening of Keniston from start to finish? Or is this just an initial phase and we're going to have to wait a few more years for other dollars to come in? Yeah, the, the, so some of those uh, answers to those questions will be, you know, revealed in the next, uh, you know, by, by the end of the morning here, Loren. Uh, and I, I just want to respect the uh, the announcement process. I, so, I, can I, we I, ask it this way? <laughs> can you confirm or deny that there's a you're installing a monorail system from Polo Park to the Outlet Mall? I'm, Is that I, a yes or a I no am on not, that? I'm not channeling my inner uh, Stephen Juba. <laughs> <laughs> So, so what, when it comes to this project, you know, there are people, no matter where you live in the city, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, what about this street? So why did this sit so high on the priority list for you? Some might argue, you know, is your neck of the woods and you're prioritizing that part of Winnipeg. So tell us, why does this come first? Yeah, no, it has nothing, you know, I, I, yes, I, I live in the west end of the city, but uh, but uh, not, not you know, this, that, that has nothing to do with it. Keniston Boulevard, the, this project has been on the books of the city of Winnipeg for, for decades. We have a couple of very important things that are happening that are new. Nawi Odina, the Indigenous-led economic development zone that will be the largest of its kind in all of, uh, certainly in, in, in all of Western Canada, is has you know offers great potential for growth and development and economic reconciliation for that project to be successful necessitates upgrades uh, to Keniston Boulevard in that area we are growing we're a growing city our economy is growing Keniston Boulevard is a very important trade route so to move uh, products to move goods to move people to their jobs we need good trade routes, uh, good arteries to, to move trade. And so there, there's a pinch point there in that section of, of Keniston Boulevard that you know most Winnipeggers understand uh, needs to be alleviated. And we have a mandate from the province of Manitoba to separate all of our combined sewers to reduce the amount of raw sewage uh, and that flows into rivers and to mitigate against the potential of basement flooding. And so there are several, as I said, you know, th- this project will, will accomplish several goals. And so that's why it was a priority for me in my campaign. What are you, what's your reaction when you see people writing articles and posting to various studies that, that suggest that widening that stretch won't do anything to reduce traffic congestion? It'll just bring more and it'll just be more gridlock. Well, uh, our staff has done the traffic forecasts. And traffic on that on, on Keniston Boulevard is going to increase in the coming years. So right now there's bottleneck. Traffic is going to increase one way or the other. And so uh, whether the project is is uh, is widened or not. Um, and so you know if we don't do anything on that route, it's going to exacerbate the traffic challenges and problems. And it's going to be a real uh, pinch point and problem, uh, which could could hamper the success of, uh, of Nawi Odina. And I, I can't stress enough the importance of that project um, on, uh, on, on that site. And uh, not just Nawi Odina, but uh, Canada Lands also has properties there that they're going to develop. This is going to be a very important infill project. It's going to allow us also to add uh, a better bus service 
active transportation routes. So for those, you know, who want to see more mode shift, which I would like to see also, uh, you know, we need better bus service in that area, uh, more reliable, more consistent uh, bus service. We need better active transportation in that area as well. So as I said, this project, uh, doing this project will, will meet a number of goals and really uh, move us into the future, and especially when it comes to the movement of trade as well. Mayor Scott Gillingham joining us live for a monthly visit. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you all. June, of course, is many things. Greg, I think you referred to it earlier. One thing, what do they call it? Meteorological summer? Begins today. Yeah, that's right. Even though it officially begins in three weeks from now. Uh, this is the th- beginning of the three-month uh, stretch of summer. Okay, but June is also National Indigenous History Month. And when it comes to the sharing of Indigenous history, Greg, there's someone who jumped immediately to mind for both of us. Absolutely. Bradford Billado is a 60s scoop survivor. He's been featured in a documentary about his experience. It's called Lost a Moccasin, and Bradford joins us now. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, everyone. Good so, to hear from you guys again. Always good to speak with you. Brad, you and I have known each other going on, uh, oh God, can we say 38, 39 years now? But we've oh, known you here yeah. on, <laughs> it's been that long, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, careful, Greg, you're going to age me out here and everybody's going to find out. So. Yeah, I don't want to blow the whistle <laughs> on you. I don't mind outing myself, so I apologize, partner. Uh, we've known you for a few years here on the station as well, and you've always been such a, a proponent of sharing Indigenous history, including many painful chapters of that history, not only for yourself, but but for others. Why is it so important for you to share these messages? Well, it's important to get it out there, get recognition, and just educate people, right? There's a lot of people out there that are still like, uh, what is that? Like, what is the 60 scoop? And the more presentations I do, the more people are looking at me with a blank stare going, I'd never even heard of this. Like, when did this happen? So... It's incredible to think that, you know, we like to think we've learned so much, right, Bradford, in the last few years particularly, but I, I have no doubt that you could walk into a high school tomorrow or to an adult learning session and, and have that very same question asked back to you. So when someone asks you the question, what is the 60s scoop, um, how do you answer that? Because it's not just you as a history teacher, it's you as the survivor. What does that story entail? Well, it takes me back to when, when I was first taken away, and it's, it's about looking at them in the eye and, and letting them know what I was feeling when I was taken away, when I was reunited, and what I'm going through. Uh, getting that feeling across, and you can see it in their eyes when they're like, whoa, this is like really deep, uh, is what I try and do at my presentations and get them involved with, uh, with what I went through as a 60 Scoop survivor. And I, I like to know that, like, let them know that I'm in a strong enough place where I can share that with them. And I'm okay with questions, any kind of questions they want to ask me. And that's through my healing that I've I've been to that place and everything. And is that as part of your healing, when you get to answer these questions and you get to relay these messages to people who maybe don't know this part of history, does that help uh, your personal healing to, to know that you are mm-hmm. enlightening some people with some things that they should know? Yes, great question. Um, after every presentation I do, I feel a sigh of relief. Uh, there's weight off my shoulders, and I, I, I can go on. Like, my journey continues. And it's, it's, I let the crowd know. I says part of my healing is talking to you and being here and educating all of you right now. Yeah, so it's a sort of part of that therapy. But can you walk us back a little bit, Brad? Like, you know, I, I know a lot about your family history, so you can share what you're comfortable with sharing with us. But at what point did you go... I need to, to know more about where I came from, what my, what my origin story is. And, and, and did, you, did you work backwards? How, how, did you, how did you start that journey, I guess, is my basic question. Well, I came to a crossroads in life where I was, like, just wild and partying and doing my thing. And, and I realized that this wasn't me, and I wanted to start a family, and I wanted to settle down. And I couldn't go about it the way I was because I didn't know what kind of family life I would introduce to the world. And I knew I had to start healing for myself to be better for my future wife, for my future kids. And I have four kids now, so I'm hoping it's working out the right way. Um, So, and my wife is great too. So uh, it was just that fork in the road where I had to decide for myself and take hold and just say, you know what, I got to get something done here. I got to, I got to start healing and find out what went on. 
So as we reflect on Indigenous History Month, uh, where are spaces we could also go just to learn, Bradford? Because we might be fortunate enough to hear one of your presentations, but what else can we do? Like, what kind of questions should we be asking and, and places we could visit to learn a little bit more? Well, the term Indigenous History Month, uh, I, it made me think twice looking at that title. I think it should be Indigenous History Year, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, the other 11 months of the year, I'm still Indigenous, so I think we can educate ourselves the rest of the year, right? Not just the month. And I think we can look for stories in our libraries, uh, writers, Jesse Thistle, Catherine Vermette, Richard Wagonese, uh, Wabusine Rice. Uh, there's the Sandy Soto Centre where I'm involved with out here in Beaujolais. And there's other places in the city that you can find and online and stuff. And like, I've got links. If you look up my mo- uh, my documentary online, there's links that'll link you to different places that for the Lost Mogasin documentary. And before we let you go, Bradford, another example of how you go out of your way to share Indigenous history. Last week with us, you just texted us to flag a new show <laughs> that's debuting on both Crave and APTN called Little Bird. So tell us about that. Well, I have not seen it yet, but I've had people send me the links and like, hey, you got to see this and everything. And it does look very interesting. I do look forward to, to watching it. All I know is that uh, Betty Ann Adam was helping out with the film and she's had her own documentary called Birth of a Family. And that's on YouTube. And if you ever want a tearjerker of a story for the 60 Scoop, I suggest you watch that one as well. And Little Bird. I'm sorry, what was that documentary called again? It was called Birth of a Family. It's on YouTube and it okay. was done by Betty Ann Adam. Okay, and the new show is called Little Bird. It's on Crave and APTN. And once again, if somebody, if people want to see your documentary, Lost Moccasin, once again, I know you just mentioned it, but in case they missed it, where do they find it? Uh, it's on the NSI website, National Screen Screenwriters Institute website, and it just search under Lost Moccasin. You can watch it as much as you want. It's 11 minutes long, so it's a great learning tool for kids and for uh, adults. Bradford Billado joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you so much, Bradford. We appreciate the time. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, have a great weekend, everyone. And full disclosure as well, Bradford won our, just happened to win our contest That's yesterday. Right. Meeting so, Jack, Jake Gyllenhaal in the, in, the, in the elevator. Are you still there, Brad? Oh, hang on a second. Bradford, are you still there? I am still here. You know what? The thing about Jake Gyllenhaal is I don't get <laughs> starstruck over stars. Like, he was just a normal guy, right? <laughs> and I was just talking to him, so. Okay. Bradford Villado going to the Bomber game tomorrow. I can't even remember what the topic was. It was just like Jake Gyllenhaal. My goodness. Oh, uh, when you forgot something, you had to turn around, right? Your your, your wife forgot the uh, tickets for the oh, Hockey yeah. Hall of Fame and had to go back up to the hotel room, right? Okay, yeah, that's right. And then Jake he bumped into Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Oh, you're having a rough start to your day. Yeah, you have no idea. Oh, hi, Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> uh, so, Bradford Billado, thank you so much. And have fun tomorrow at the Bomber game. And speaking of Bomber tickets, we're giving some away next on The Start. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, inspired by a lone tenant in a Montreal apartment building that a real estate developer wants to flip and turn into a condo building. It's 400 bucks a month for her suite. She's holding her ground. She's not leaving without proper compensation. And uh, we're asking you to tell us a story about a time you stole your ground. Like this person, one of our runners-up, this, uh, this listener says, I was a volunteer parent in my child's classroom one day, like 20 years ago, around Christmas. Teacher asked me to take four or five kids out to a table in the hallway and have them take turns reading the Polar Express. Everything went well until I got to one little boy. I pass him the book. He says, no, push the book back to me. So I pushed the book back to him for him to read his section. He pushed it back again. No, this went on two more times. At that point, I'd had enough. And I kind of slammed the book on the table and said, read. It scared him. He jumped back kind of hit his head on the wall and my daughter turns to him and says you don't mess with my mom and he read his page <laughs> teacher would never get never get away with that no but no. because as a parent volunteer and 20 years ago and 20 years ago great story <laughs> um i think we've got time for both of these uh loren why don't you take a look at uh, don's and then greg can read the winning text all right so we got in from don the story of a start of COVID restrictions, I was delivering a $750,000 farm tractor in Portage La Prairie. From 50 feet away, the receiver yelled at me to stop. I asked where to get the bills signed so I could unload. He said, fax the bills and they would sign them and return them by fax. I told him that until the bills were signed, the machine would stay on the trailer. He said they needed it now. It was already sold. The buyer was on his way. 
Not a me problem. No <laughs> sign bills, no machine. He still refused, so I took it back to the yard after consulting with my boss. Yes. I mean, that's three quarters of a million dollars of machine. You're not just like, oh, sure, here it is. I'll hand it over. Fax oh, the bill. Word. Yeah. Well, from where? He's got them in his hand. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. receive it. Take it. Yeah. Yep. Don, your stories from the road are ter- terrific, but uh, we're going with Lenore C. from the Oak. I stood behind the counter in our shop and watched a man sitting across the street in his van, eating junk food and throwing all his wrappers out the window. After watching an endless amount of trash blowing onto our property, I went out, picked it all up, went around to the passenger side of his vehicle, opened the door, set it all on the seat. I said, I don't go to your home and dump my trash in your yard, and I would appreciate it if you would show the same courtesy when you're in our town. He was speechless, but he did make a disturbing motion suggesting I was going to pay. This is the one I'm imagining, Brett. Thankfully, we never saw or heard from this person again. Lenore C., that is brazen, and congratulations. You win the tickets for tomorrow night's preseason game, Bombers and Rough Riders at IG Field. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up in our next segment, we are going to check in with the host of Connecting Winnipeg, Hal Anderson, to find out what's coming up after 10 o'clock. But right now, we need to give you the latest installment of this saga, because back in April, we introduced you to a lucky Manitoba man planning the father-son vacation of a lifetime. Okay, so his name was Ronald Ash, and he told us then that he's been collecting this special series of hockey cards issued by Tim Hortons and Upper Deck for years. And in October of last year, he found a one in almost four million card. I think it was the second day, October 4th. I went out and went to my Tim Hortons that morning and uh, on St. Mary's Road there and decided to buy a, a whole box of 100, right? So that night when I came home, I started opening them up. And, you know, hoping to lock out on, like, a jersey card or something like that, right? To do my set like I normally do. And I was down to my last three packs, and what card did I pull out was the Stanley Cup trip. And it's like, wow. (laughs) I couldn't believe it at the time. Wow is right. So the Stanley Cup final is set. We didn't know that, of course, back in April. And there's also another thing we were uncertain about, Greg. And so we wanted to bring Ronald back on to figure this all out. So let's welcome back to the start without further ado, Ronald Ash. Ronald, good morning, friend. Good morning, sir. You must be excited. Oh, yeah. (laughs) After eight months of waiting and we're down to two days. I love it. We'll we'll get all the details on that front. But for listeners who've been following your saga, we brought you on the show in late April in the midst of that Public Service Alliance of Canada strike, which put your son Jonathan's passport in jeopardy. We can assume that that, all that is cleared up, right? Yeah. uh, They had a deal with uh, his guarantor and getting a hold of uh, that person. And uh, then uh, that was the actual issue apparently and then just a couple of weeks ago i think two or three weeks ago uh we finally got it so yeah he yeah finally <laughs> love it okay. so where are you going again ronald uh originally a couple of days ago they were going to send us to game three in florida but uh they're sending us to game one in vegas Ooh. So are you ha- oh, like, yeah. <laughs> what, like which, what was your choice? If you had to pick Vegas or Vegas, Florida as a... Vegas, Vegas, <laughs> <that'd be> Vegas. <laughs> Why so wishy-washy, Ronald, on your choice? Yeah, either one would have been great, but game one in Vegas, uh, you know, a little bit more to see down there while we're down there. We're only down there for a couple of days, and, and Vegas has a nice uh, opening ceremony for the hockey games and everything, and expecting uh, a real nice one on Saturday. Have you ever been to Las Vegas? I've never been out of Canada, so <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's going to be a big experience and definitely new. Well, oh, we're going to have to put a tracker on you, I think, because you're going to get to uh, Vegas. Yeah, and- <laughs> yeah. I, I have a, I'm hoping I don't get lost. <laughs> well, and also make sure you bring good walking shoes because there is a remarkable amount of walking in Las Vegas that will catch yeah. you off guard. 
Yeah, I bought brand new ones uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, for the trip, so didn't even wear them until yesterday. <laughs> well, it's so, so nice to hear the excitement in your voice, Ronald. Versus yep. when we spoke to you in April, you were you were downright uh, concerned about you know if this strike yeah. had 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 lengthened and gone on for a long time that you might have been out of luck on this one. When this is one of the luckiest things that anybody could have happen for them. So here's the next question: we we wanted to know where you preferred to go. Who are you going to cheer for? Uh, you know what? We're, we're Habs fans, Montreal Canadiens right. fans, right? So, you know what? Uh, to us, uh, we're not big Vegas fans. We're not big uh, Florida fans. But we've been following them through the playoffs. It's been a great playoffs and such. And you know what? We're it, It's nice to go. go to, we don't care who wins or who loses. It's going to be a nice experience just to you know, for the love of the game kind of thing, right? All right. So no stress, yeah. and which is unusual yeah. when you go to these games. You've got, you're so vested in your yeah. Canadians or when I'm there. You yeah. know, I've been to one game to see the Jets in Vegas. And, of course, you don't want to go all that way and to, to have your team lose. So th- this will be a nice yeah. way to do, do it. Uh, have you got yeah. any restaurant uh, recommendations? Like your friends must be just inundating you with ideas of things to do while you're there. Yeah, yeah. They talked about the Vegas Strip and... And Bryce telling me about uh, the Wax Museum and such like that. So, uh, yeah, we're going to see what we can see down there for, you know, the time we have down there. So, yeah. So it'll be exciting. Do you um, know what hotel that you're going to no, stay at? No, not, not yet. I'm hoping to get that today. <laughs> oh, I'm hoping to get that and find out that day. We already got uh, we already got the information uh, for our, our, our tickets and everything. We're leaving really early tomorrow morning, and we're coming back like two o'clock Tuesday morning. <laughs> so you said two that they were. In the morning. You said they were originally going to send you to game three, and then they yeah, they switch gears to to yeah, make it to game then, one. So why yeah, why they, why did they switch? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, uh, but they switched it, and and it's like okay, I, I wasn't complaining. <laughs> <laughs> did it work out better in terms of yeah. like your schedule? Uh. This has uh, all worked out with both our uh, employers, and we've been kind of expecting it to be like a drop of the hat because it would have been if both series would have went to Game 7, right? So, you know, um, yeah, we were expecting a drop of the hat and go, right? So uh, both our workplaces have been really great about it. So, uh, And they, they've already been informed uh, like oh, months ago. <laughs> Ron, we're super excited for you. Congratulations on this one and nearly yeah. four million win, and the the idea that you're going to be going to outside of Canada for the first time. Yeah. I didn't know that was part of your story until yeah. just a moment ago. So, uh, yeah, we've never been to an NHL game, and and when we when my me the excitement really started when we were down on Main Street just outside the passport office after he got his passport. We were like high fiving each other and everything. Down, down on Main Street. <laughs> Ronald, who's the responsible one? You're going to Vegas. Who, like, who holds on to the cash to make sure the gambling doesn't, you know, get out of control or anything? Well, well, he's 18, but the uh, legal age down in the states apparently is 21. So oh, that's right. Really, yeah, so can't really do any of that. So it's not a big deal. Uh, we'll we'll enjoy what's down there and what we can see, and you know, so that's. The, the way we're looking at it. He wouldn't be able to get into some of these places anyways, and he's kind of bummed about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, he's more he's more looking forward to, you know, he keeps on saying to me the last couple of, day, couple of days, yeah, Dad, you burn in the sun. I'm waiting for you to come back looking like a tomato. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. So, yeah, it would be fun. It was, a, lot of, a lot of stress was relieved when we got that passport. And yeah, we were all excited and the excitement's been building ever since. Well, it's kind of fitting that, that it ended up being Las Vegas after what you've been through just be getting able to go is already a celebration and is a party. And you are essentially going to like the party capital of the universe. Yeah. (laughs) From what everybody's telling me. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, Ronald Ash, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations. Enjoy your your trip with your son. Enjoy the game. Enjoy Las Vegas. Enjoy it all. Yep. Thanks a lot. Ronald Ash joining us live on 680 CJOB. Won a trip to the Stanley Cup final. 
i.e. the North American Ice Hockey League Championship in Sin City. What a, Imagine, first time out of Canada and you're going to Las Vegas. And your first NHL hockey game, you're going with your son. What a wonderful... This is like two separate interviews. Like the same guy from April 26 versus now, and to hear uh, you know, and to hear Ronald so excited is just is just terrific. Do you remember your first NHL game, Loren? Yep, uh, it was Winnipeg versus the Kings, Los Angeles, and we were Gretzky fans. And it was in the old arena. We were in the last row. This would have been a big treat for our parents in terms of the cost it would have taken for four kids to go. And up that high, you could actually only see. Like, you couldn't see the full ice because they had those big bars <laughs> in the way, if I recall correctly. So you had to watch some of it on the monitor. And it was thrilling. But it was also, like, the crowd really booed Gretzky a lot. Like, Gretzky. And I remember at one point, my brother, he was the biggest of, of all the fans. He was like, why are they doing that? Like, you know, because you just, you just, all these dynamics you don't pick up on TV all the time. So I can remember it very clearly. It was... um Super cool, and it's cool to do it with your family like he's doing with his son. So amazing. And Brett, was your first ever NHL game at then MTS Center? Yeah, it was the preseason opener for Jets 2.0. I never, I, I didn't go to a single Jets game, the the 1.0. I don't know why. That's why this they was left. never our thing. It's all your fault. <laughs> yeah, blame the McGarrys. <laughs> had they just gone to a game? If you would have bought two more tickets. That would have been the difference between them staying and leaving. Brett, way to go. <laughs> Yeah, I'm used to being, we McGarry's are used to being blamed for many things. So just add that to the pile. Uh, so congratulations to Ronald Ash going to see game one of the Stanley Cup final, Vegas Golden Knights and Florida Panthers. 946, Mackling, McGarry, McNabb. Not that going down to Sunrise would have been a bad spot either. He's out right outside no. Miami or uh, Fort Lauderdale. Fort, Fort Lauderdale, lots to do. Just uh, get on a Dade County bus or whatever you can do and uh, go down to South. Oh yeah. You, you no shortage of ways to get in trouble in either locale. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to check I in. I just trying to figure out in the dynamic. If you were to go with your dads, you two, which one's like reining the other in? Like would your dad be reining you in Brett or vice versa? Can I plead the fifth on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Really? I don't know. That's a trip I really? want to see. That's a trip I Smash want to see. Smash Gordon. Mm. Why do you Maybe think we, we should him? arrange this. <laughs>